Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 18. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 18 and then all the way up into chapter 19, verse 7. Um, If you remember, Paul had been in Corinth, and that's that's where we left off. Um, So let's look at Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through chapter 19, verse 7. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centrea, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross... Crossed to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ what that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it both understand and know the true Jesus. Now, as many of you know, our Our brother Chase is currently in New York, right, attending a leadership training program with his church back at college. This is uh, the the same exact program that that I attended many years ago when I was a student at U of M, um, when I was attending New Life Church. And and one of the things that they train you in while you are there is, is how to share the gospel well. What they do, they, they will partner you up with, with another believer and then put you in real-world situations 
where you'll be able to proclaim the message of Jesus to unbelievers. Well, when I attended all those years ago, I I met a student from the University of Florida named Jay. In fact, Jay just happened to be the leader of of our home group there. Well, one night, Jay shared with us a story that I'll never forget. A story how, how one of these gospel training sessions became a, a catalyst for great change in Jay's life. You see, Jay had been, had, had been raised in a Christian home, and he had gone to church his whole life. And even when he first went to college, he, he followed his parents' advice and started attending a church that was on campus there. And yet this new church was a bit different from the church that he had grown up with. For for they were actively involved in communicating the gospel to unbelievers. They they actually left their pews and, and went out into the world to proclaim the message of Jesus to all the students at that university. Well, Jay was the type of person who wanted to be involved as much as possible. And he, he was kind of the, the, the do-gooder, right? And so he decided that he would join them in this activity, even though he, he had never done this before. But because he was new at this, they, they partnered him with a student who was much more experienced, someone who had gone out many, many times before, so that Jay's first time out, all he would have to do was follow along, listen, and learn. And so that's what Jay did. He, he, he shadowed this other student as they began introducing themselves to different people and getting into gospel conversations. Now, I'm not sure how many times Jay got to hear the gospel shared that day, but what, what he realized as he was listening to this message over and over again was that he had never really heard the gospel before. Even though he had gone to church his whole life, This good news of Jesus Christ was never explained to him. All all the Sunday school lessons that he attended and every sermon that that had been preached to him were were just moralistic, do-good messages. They, They were about right behavior and being obedient. The real message of Jesus was never taught. And thus, Jay knew nothing when it came to the, to the reason why Jesus had to die on the cross. Nor did he know the true meaning behind the resurrection. No one had ever explained to him that he was a sinner and in need of forgiveness. And that, and that Jesus had paid the penalty for his sins when he died on that cross. Nor did he understand that when Jesus rose from the grave, that death had been defeated, not just for Jesus for all those who put their trust in him. You see, Jay believed that he was a Christian when he really wasn't. And if you would have asked him, he would have told you that Jesus was a savior. Yet he really had no clue what Jesus was saving him from. But now he was hearing the gospel for the first time. And he came to the realization that he wasn't a true Christian. And so as they were walking back to meet up with the rest of the group, Jay finally spoke up. He let this other student know 
Hey, man, this is the first time I'm ever hearing this. That's when this other student took Jay aside and shared the gospel directly to him. And guess what? Jay believed. Praise the Lord. How many are out there today who attend church but never really hear the true gospel? How many believe that they are Christians and and yet they have a a false or an incomplete view of Jesus? How many lost souls are are walking around, people who who think they know Jesus, who, who think that they are saved, and yet they really have no clue who this Jesus is or what he has done for them? And they do not know because they have never heard the true gospel preached. Nobody has ever took them aside and explained to them the true Jesus. Dear friends, it it is the job of the church to to, to discern who these people are and then to, to patiently and lovingly correct the errors of those who are deficient in their faith. That is what we are called to do. And this is what we see the church doing in our story today. We, we see examples of people who were given an incomplete view of Jesus Christ and how the church came beside them and described the way of God more accurately. Let's, let's see how this plays out. Look, look again at our passage. Look at Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 21. <clears throat> After this, Paul stayed many days longer and took leave of the brothers and and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centrea he had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to Ephesus and he left them there but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period he declined but on taking leave of them he said I will return to you if God wills and he set sail from Ephesus. Now, now, if you remember from our last two Sundays, Paul had been in the city of Corinth bringing the gospel message to both Jews and Gentiles within that city. And if you recall, many, many people were coming to Christ and the church was being built up. In fact, Paul had remained in Corinth for a whole year and a half. That was his longest stint in, in any city thus far. And the reason Paul could stay so long in that city was because Jesus had promised to him that he would be with him and protect him from any harmful attacks. And so when Paul left Corinth, he left of his own free will. He wasn't chased out of town. He wasn't fleeing for his life. Rather, he left being confident that this new congregation that that God had formed over the past 18 months would be able to manage on their own and flourish. You see, Paul was at the tail end of his second missionary journey, and, and he was ready to return home, ready to go back to Jerusalem and to the into Syria and Antioch, to the churches that had sent him. He would deliver a report of all that God was doing 
throughout the Roman world. And yet on his journey, he would pass through Asia, a place where, where if you remember, the Holy Spirit had prevented him from entering beforehand. And he brought friends with him, did he not? Both Priscilla and Aquila, this Jewish Christian couple who, who were in the tent-making business, right? They, they were moving to Ephesus, which happened to be the capital city of the province of Asia Minor. Now, most likely they were looking for new customers, but, it, but I think part of this had to do with their gospel imperative, right? They, they desired to see the good news of Jesus Christ being preached in new places. So why not go to Ephesus? And yet before they reached Ephesus, Luke gives us this, uh, this little detail concerning the Apostle Paul, right? That, that he had made an oath. Luke tells us that at Centria, Paul had cut his hair for he was under a vow. So, so what is this all about? What, what is with the cutting of the hair and, and this vow? Now, Luke doesn't exactly tell us, but most likely Paul was under what is called a Nazareth vow. Similar to the vow that Samson was under. Similar, similar to the vow that John the Baptist was under. But while, while Samson and John the Baptist were under these vows for their whole life, most Jews, when they took a Nazareth vow, they would only do so for a short stint, maybe six months up to a year. But by taking this vow, there were certain regulations that Paul had to follow. One, that he was not allowed to cut his hair, right? But he, wasn't, he also wasn't allowed to drink wine or to touch dead bodies. And if you read the story of Samson, you'll get all those things, right? Um, and yet, when this vow was over, when the time frame was up, uh, a man would then cut his hair again. And then he would bring his hair, he would collect it and bring it to Jerusalem where it would be ceremonially burnt. Now you may be asking yourself, now why in the world would the Apostle Paul have to take a Nazareth vow? What, what is this all about? Again, Luke doesn't tell us the reason, right? Just that Paul did it. But what was often the case was, was with these types of vows, they were often made as a way to give thanks to God. Perhaps given the Lord's protection over Paul's life, as well as the success of the gospel in the city of Corinth, Paul just wanted to give thanks to God. And maybe he did so by taking this Nazareth vow. And yet when Paul reached Ephesus, he ran into a conundrum, did he not? For, for he went into the synagogue as he, as he always does, right? He goes to the synagogue first. He began preaching about Jesus, about his death on the cross, about his resurrection. And guess what? He received a, a warm welcome from these Ephesian Jews. In fact, they wanted Paul to stay longer, indicating their desire to hear more about this Jesus. In other words, they were open to the gospel. Now this had to be a hard thing for Paul to say no to. For that's, that was his desire. That's what Christ had called him to do. 
And remember, Paul had tried going into Asia one time before, only to be prevented by the Holy Spirit. And yet now, Paul was in the capital of Asia Minor, and it seemed like there was this open door for the gospel to be proclaimed. And yet, he had made this vow. And he had to return to Jerusalem within a certain time frame. And this is where I think Paul's mindset is instructive for us. For what does Paul say? I will return to you if God wills. I will return to you if God wills. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You see, Paul understood that, that God is sovereign over all things, and that, and that if God truly desired to use Paul in this city, then he would find a way to get him there in his own timing. But for now, Paul had to trust in the Lord's leading and be faithful to the vow that he had made. Plus, it wasn't as if there would be no witness in this city, right? For there was now Aquila and Priscilla, this, this Christian couple who, who were just as eager as Paul was to proclaim Jesus. It doesn't have to be Paul, right? It can be someone else. It could be Priscilla and Aquila. Let, let, let's see how God will use them while Paul goes away. Look at, look at verses 24 through 26. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had, be, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning the Concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so as Paul was making his journey towards Jerusalem, we're, we're introduced to this new figure, this man named Apollos. And Apollos was a Jew from the city of Alexandria. And Alexandria, well, that was a city located in Egypt. And it was a port city on the western edge of the, of the Nile Delta. And it was a city that was established a long time ago by Alexander the Great, hence the name Alexandria, right? And yet by the first century A.D., Alexandria had become a massive, massive city, supporting a population of over 600,000 people. Some, some figure that it was probably the second largest city next to Rome that, at that time. But it was also known as a, a, a learned city, boasting the, the largest library in the ancient world. At one time, this, this library was said to house over 700,000 scrolls. And in fact, one of the reasons that, that it has so many scrolls was because the, the authorities within Alexandria, what they would do is they would confiscate from people entering into their city any scrolls that they had. Then they had these armies, they had an army of scribes who, who would make copies of these scrolls 
they would keep the original and return the new copy to the person whom they had confiscated it from. And so over the years, they, they pretty much had collected every ancient manuscript in the known world. And they were all stored in this one library. Needless to say, the people of Alexandria highly valued their education. Now, the other thing to note about Alexandria is that it had become a haven to diaspora Jews, Jews who had been dispersed throughout the years. And, and this is partly the case because when, a long time ago, hundreds of years prior before Jesus came on the scene, when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, many of the Jews had fled to Egypt. And then years later, when Alexander the Great shows up, when he conquers, well, these Jews, they were, they were already there. They had already considered Egypt their home. And so when this city of Alexandria was founded, these same Jews would have been some of the original inhabitants. And the fact that Alexandria was a brand new city, this offered an advantage to these Jews. For these Jews, what they were able to do, they were able to form their own district where they could separate themselves off from the Gentile world, thus maintaining their purity standards under the Mosaic law. Well, this Jewish district became very, very attractive to other Jews within Egypt. And pretty soon, the city of Alexandria saw a massive influx in their Jewish population. Fast forward to the first century, and it's estimated that there were roughly 200,000 Jews living in Alexandria, nearly a third of the city's population. And one of those Jews just happened to be this man named Apollos. So just like the Apostle Paul, what do we see about Apollos? He was a, an educated man, Right? He, he would have been trained in both Greek and Roman culture, in the Greek language. And being a Jew, he would have also been well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures. And, and from Luke's description, we, we know as well that, that he was a gifted speaker. He was an eloquent man, right? Luke tells us that he was fervent in spirit, the, the, the actual Greek here means that his spirit boiled within him. In other words, this man had zeal. And it was through this use of passion that he had that he was able to capture the attention of his audience. But not only was he a dynamic speaker, but because of his education, he was also, what does Luke say, competent in the scriptures. He, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was an Old Testament scholar, right? And so when you put these two things together, you, you have a man who, who not only knew God's word well, but who could also preach persuasively about it. Not, not a bad combination when you think of it, right? And yet there's more. For Luke also points out that, that he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Well, now we're getting somewhere, right? A, a fervent speaker who knew God's word well and was preaching about Jesus. 
I mean, what more can you ask for? And when you think about it, this is pretty amazing. I mean, how did this Jew who was from Egypt hear about Jesus in the first place? Well, by this time, the gospel had been going out for years, right? And I'm sure at least one of the apostles or at least another missionary would have made their way into Egypt and into one of the largest cities of the world. And thus the message of Jesus Christ, it reached the ears of this Apollos. And Apollos took what he had heard and he ran with it. And yet something was amiss, right? What was the message that Apollos was preaching? What did he know when it came to this Jesus? I mean, was Apollos even a Christian? Or did he, did he lack certain truths when it, when it came to his knowledge of the Messiah? What does Luke tell us? He says that Apollos knew only the baptism of John. Now, in my study this week, I, I was hoping to find a consensus on this matter, whether Apollos was a Christian or not. But unfortunately, all I could find was disagreement. <laughs> you know, some seemed very certain that Apollos was already a believer, while others were pretty confident that he wasn't. Myself, I, I don't know. You know. The text doesn't explicitly say either way. But, but what it does say is that he only knew the baptism of John. And that both Priscilla and Aquila needed to take this man aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. And so we know that there was some type of deficiency in this man's teaching. He, he was ignorant concerning the baptism of Jesus. Look, look at the Gospel of Luke Look at Luke chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. It says this. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so John makes this distinction, does he not, between his baptism and the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of John was a baptism that emphasized the teaching of John, which, which was a focus on repentance in preparation for the Messiah. And yet the baptism of Jesus is a baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It is a baptism of God's cleansing presence. In fact, let's, let's look at what Jesus taught concerning his baptism. Look at the Great Commission. Look at Matthew, 20, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
So, so what is the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus? Well, for one, we, we see that in Jesus' baptism, people are baptized into the name of the triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But not only that, but, the, but this baptism is coming off the heels of Jesus' death, resurrection, and soon to be his ascension, right? And so this baptism is not just about repentance, but it is also about faith. Faith in the gospel message. That Jesus died for our sins. That he rose victoriously, giving, giving to us new life. That he is now ruling in heaven above as he sits at the right hand of the Father. In essence, the, the baptism of Jesus is a baptism that understands that the kingdom of God has arrived and that Jesus is now working through his people through the power of his Holy Spirit. I mean, what were the first words that, that Jesus spoke in these verses? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You, you, you see, this, this is where the baptism of John was lacking. That was a baptism that was looking forward to the kingdom. And yet the baptism of Jesus understands that the kingdom is now. And so when Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos speak, they realized that even though this man had a gifted tongue, even though this man was competent in the scriptures, and even though this man was preaching about Jesus this man also had a deficiency. A deficiency in his understanding of all that Christ had done. And that was why they took him aside. In order that they might correct him. And notice too how they did this privately. They, they didn't try to argue with him while he was teaching. Or even while he was hanging out in the synagogue. No. Rather, rather, they took him aside and kept this matter private. And the reason they kept this private was to maintain this man's honor, right? They, they didn't want to bring disgrace to this one who had been so passionately preaching about Jesus. They wanted to preserve this man's reputation for the sake of his gospel witness. And here's the thing. The, the error that Apollos was in was an error of ignorance, and not an error of rebellion. This, this man wasn't a wolf in sheep's clothing. Rather, he was simply uninformed. And so to call this man out as one would call out a false teacher, well, that, that, wouldn't have, that would have benefited no one. And think of your own journey, your, your own Christian walk, and how much you have grown in your knowledge of Christ from day one when you first believed. And we are constantly maturing, are we not? Maturing as we read scripture, maturing as we sit under biblical teaching. Our, our knowledge of who Jesus is and all that he has done for us and still does for us is constantly expanding, right? And, and how many times have, have we needed to be corrected, either because of our ignorance or or because we have misunderstood something and needed to have it explained to us. I mean, this happens all the time. Even to your pastor, 
right? And I've been a Christian for almost 30 years, and, and I've been through seminary. I've, I've been serving in Christian ministry for over 20 years. And yet I am still learning and, and growing in my knowledge of Christ. And I believe that will always be the case until the day I die. But that's the point, right? I mean, none of us have arrived. That, that, that's why we need one another. That's why we need the church. That's why we need our brothers and sisters in Christ so that, so that we can correct one another. Correct our errors and grow. And so there are two things that, about this passage, two attitudes, if you will, that we as a church need to learn to develop. And the first is that we need to have a willingness to confront error, right? We've got to be brave enough to, to actually do it. In our world today, sometimes it seems like we're always walking on eggshells, right? We never want to offend anyone, and so we never speak up. And yet this is something that we're called to do, particularly when a brother or sister is in error. Listen, it, it is not loving to remain silent when someone is not speaking the truth. Rather, the loving thing to do is to lead that person into the truth. But we must do so gently, just as Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos. We must be gentle for the sake of our brother, for the sake of our sister. Second thing, we, we, we must also be willing to receive correction, right? If we're willing to give it, we should be willing to take it. Um, and again, but again, this, this can be a difficult thing, right? And it's difficult because we're so full of pride. Right? We don't want to be wrong. We don't like to be challenged in our beliefs. And yet we must learn to set our egos aside in order that we might listen and learn. Like Apollos, we must be open to correction and have a willingness to change when we are in error. And Apollos did change. He, he, he learned the way of God more accurately. He, he became an even more dynamic speaker, able to powerfully refute those who spoke against the Christian faith. Luke even tells us that after his time in Ephesus, he then traveled on to the province of Achaia, to the city of Corinth, and there he became a mighty witness for Jesus Christ. And why? All because Priscilla and Aquila spoke up. They corrected this man, and Apollos listened to their correction. And so this correction, not only did it benefit Apollos, but it benefited the whole church as well. Well, while Apollos was off to Corinth, we see that Paul was returning to Ephesus. God's timing had come, and God had prepared that city for his apostles' return. Look at, look at Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. And it happened that while Apollos was, was at... <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. 
And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? Remember, the baptism of Jesus includes the name of the Holy Spirit. So, what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. So here we see once again, Paul, in his ministry, he comes to the city of Ephesus, and he comes across these disciples, these men who claim to follow Jesus, and yet we see that something is off. Again, this is just a, a very, very similar situation to what we saw with Apollos. These were men who, who knew some things about Jesus, and yet they were ignorant when it came to other things about Jesus. And this was particularly true when it came to the Holy Spirit and to baptism. And, and so we're, we're left asking the same question that we asked with Apollos, right? Were these men even Christians? Did they have enough knowledge about Jesus Christ in order to be saved? And while with Apollos we couldn't be certain, with these men I, I believe the answer is simple. I don't think they were true believers, for, for they had not received the Holy Spirit. And the reason they had not received the Holy Spirit because they were not given the required information to have true saving faith. I mean, consider the question that Paul had asked them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, now why would Paul ask them this? That seems like such a bizarre question, does it not? Yet this was Paul's way of determining whether or not they were in the faith. For to be a true Christian is to be united with Christ. And the way you're united with Christ is through him sending his Holy Spirit. And so the fact that they had never even heard of the Holy Spirit speaks volumes. They were truly deficient in their knowledge of Christ. And thus they had never heard the true gospel message. Well, Paul wasn't satisfied with one question, so he pressed the matter further by asking them a second question. And to what then were you baptized? You see, Paul wanted to know exactly what it was that they were taught in order that he might determine where they were lacking. And when they answered John's baptism, this only confirmed Paul's suspicions that these disciples had yet to hear the full good news of Jesus Christ. And again, for, for all the reasons I, I talked about before, the, the, message of the, the message and the baptism of John what was it? It was pointing forward to Jesus, pointing forward to the coming kingdom. But now that Jesus had died on the cross, now that he had paid the penalty for our sins, now that he had risen from the dead and, brought, and brings new life to all those who trust in them, now that Jesus has ascended and rules at the right hand of the Father, well, that means that the kingdom has already come. And those who truly belong to the kingdom well, they are joined to their king through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what did Paul do for these men? He informed them, right? <laughs> he, he took them out of their ignorance. 
and brought them the knowledge that they needed to have about Jesus. He pointed them to Christ. In our day, we come across a lot of people who who take on the name of Christian, do we not? Who claim to be followers of Jesus. But have we ever stopped to, to ask these people what they mean by that? Who is this Jesus whom you are following? You see, just like my friend Jay, who, who attended church his, his whole life, who was actively involved in his new church, who was learning how to even share the gospel, just like him, there's many who, who have never really heard the gospel before, who claim to know Jesus but don't really know him. And it is our duty as Christ's church to make sure that we ask the necessary questions so as to determine whether or not one is truly in the faith. And there are some great diagnostic questions that are out there that we should be asking people rather than just assuming that they are in the faith simply because they call themselves a Christian. For instance, there's, there's a particular question that I typically ask of someone if I know they want to become a member of the church or if they want to get baptized. And that question is this. If you were to die today and you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? How would you respond to him? You see, how they answer that question speaks volumes. It speaks volumes about what they are putting their faith in. I don't know how many times I've heard a person who claimed to be a Christian and answer that question by saying, well, I've been a good person. You know, I'm better than that guy. I'm not Hitler. <laughs> That's not going to get you into heaven. You see, this is what Paul was doing. He, he was asking that diagnostic question, and thank God he did. For these men had, had thought they were saved when they really weren't. And yet when they heard the true gospel, they believed. Just like Jay, they believed. Look, look at our last few verses. Look at verses 5 through 7. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. You see, in response to Paul revealing the true Jesus, these men believed, and they received a baptism in the name of Jesus. In other words, they had now confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And what is interesting about this is that even though they had already been baptized under John's baptism, they didn't hesitate to be baptized again. For they are now believing the truth. For they were now welcomed into Christ's kingdom. A kingdom that had already arrived. Perhaps there are some of you who are here today who have never been baptized. Never been baptized since coming to faith in Jesus. Maybe you were baptized as an infant before you knew anything about your Savior. My encouragement to you would be consider getting baptized again, just as these 12 men 
were baptized again. For, for a true baptism in Jesus' name can only happen when one has been united with Jesus in repentant faith. I know that's challenging to some of you. But pray about it. Look what happened after these men were baptized. Luke tells us that they were speaking in tongues and they began prophesying. Just like on the day of Pentecost, we, we, we see a, a mini Pentecost specifically for these men, right? And why was this happening? Well, this was God's way of giving these men assurance, right? That they were now believing the true gospel. I mean, beforehand they thought they knew it, but they didn't. But now that they heard the true gospel, now that they believed, God blessed them with these signs of assurance. These men were now confident that they were saved. And you too can have such assurance. For Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit on all those who truly do repent and believe in him. And while he may not manifest himself in the same way as he did for these men, He's going to come to you nonetheless and in ways that are more lasting. A new heart that brings about a changed life. A desire for the things of God replacing the, the sinful desires that you once had. An evangelistic zeal as you realize that this life is just too short and eternities are at stake for those who have yet to know this Jesus. Dear friends, when you are united with Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, your whole life changes, right? For no longer are you living for yourself, but you are living for Him. He gives you a new heart. And part of living for Him means making sure that those whom we come across, those whom we love, understand who the true Jesus is. And that they can find salvation in him. Let us not assume that someone is in the faith just because they claim to be a Christian. Rather, let us make certain. And so when we hear error, let us not shy away from correcting. Rather, let us explain the way of God more accurately. For in so doing, we might put ourselves in a position of bringing the saving message of Jesus Christ to those who are truly lost. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we ask now for your guidance. We, we need your help in discerning these matters. Perhaps there is someone who is here today who, who thinks they know you, who, who thinks they are a Christian, but they have yet to understand the true saving message the message of your Son, Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead victoriously, that he brings everlasting life to those who turn away from their sins and trust in him. Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit to save those who don't know you? Lord, we pray as well that you would help us to become more aware of those who are in need to hear the gospel. That when we hear error, 
we would then have the courage to give correction. And help us to receive correction as well as as we often find ourselves in error. For who knows? Perhaps it is one of us who have yet to meet the real Jesus. And so give us humble hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.